So Hugh, I wanted to have you on the podcast today to talk to you a little bit about your thoughts about everything that's going on with COVID and COVID lockdowns. Yeah. Um, but can you give me a little bit of a back, background as to what your education is and why you got interested in this subject? Um, well, I've got, uh, I've got a um, PhD in biochemistry and my latest pa papers and research have been on, has been in immunology. So I consider myself an immunologist. I'm also a patent attorney. Um, I've, um, uh, I've got, I've got uh, my, my author bio blurb. Uh, I, uh, I've got 18 refereed scientific journal articles and 21 issued patents. Um, uh, and I've got two companies. I started pharmaceutical companies off of my own inventions. And I got, so I got interested in COVID just at the beginning of this, it just, and the lockdowns. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm an immunologist. So COVID interested me from that standpoint at the beginning, uh, and interests me, but, um, my just initial inclination was this wasn't that serious not smallpox or anything and i didn't expect that um we've never reacted this way to to scary diseases in the past it's been a long time since we've had an epidemic this bad but like i said it's still not smallpox and um i didn't expect we would react this way to it so it was and when we started the lockdowns and everything, my inclination, my my intuition, my strong intuition was this is going to cause way more harm than good, and uh, this is a big mistake. Um, and um, I doubted that at the for a, for a little bit at the beginning. I kind of doubted that because it seems that you know it turned out that every health department in the world basically was responding to this with lockdowns. Every society, nearly every nation in the world um of some variation uh so i thought well maybe i'm wrong uh, what's what are the odds that i'm right and everybody else every other expert is wrong um but um then the data started coming in and turns out i was right and turns out that i also was not alone there's plenty of experts plenty of epidemiologists and scientists and physicians who thought this uh, was a big mistake and that it would do, would and has done far more harm than good. Yeah, yeah. Why do you, why do you think there was, what, what do you make of these like conspiracy theories of people who say that, you know, it, it had to be some sort of conspiracy there, this coordinated global effort, or was it just panic and fear that drove everything to all, to all act in the same way, almost universally across the world? It's, I, um, I'm suspicious it's food for conspiracy theories because it doesn't, but it's certainly we, what you laid out, I think are the two possibilities. Either it was just mass panic, basically. In other words, kind of incompetence from governments and health authorities, or there's some ulterior motive than, um, than preventing COVID deaths, uh, that the other something else the lockdowns have accomplished, um, which to me is pretty much all bad, dividing divided us from each other, caused an explosion in clinical depression, um, 
probably will wind up causing about 100,000 excess suicides and drug overdose deaths um, in the United States. Um, that those were intended. It's, I, I don't, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, the, the suicides and drug overdose deaths certainly to me do not make sense that that was a goal. Um, maybe the depression was a goal in the sense that depressed people and kind of dividing us from each other even more than we already were along ideological lines and blaming each other for, for, for this. Uh, maybe that was a goal. It makes it, um, it does make it a little easier to, depressed people don't fight back. And uh, so it kind of makes it easy to, easier to govern a society if everybody's depressed, I suppose you could say cynically. Um, and certainly some people do profit from the divisions we have in our society, particularly on political lines nowadays. Uh, so maybe that was a goal, but it's, that's an awfully cynical view of human nature. I hate to, uh, hate to think that, but, uh, kind of my experience in life is, uh, it's rare that I've been not cynical enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you say, you know, you, you looked at it and you, you thought to yourself that, it wasn't as big of a deal as people were making it or governments were making it, uh, but maybe you were wrong. And then it, you said that it, you kind of proved that you were right. When you say that, some people might be skeptical. You know, there's we hear all these numbers of the number of people who have died is in the worldwide is in the millions. How can you say that it's not uh, it's not I'm we not haven't reacted strongly enough? Yeah. So I I'm not saying I was. I, I didn't believe that this wasn't serious or a bad thing. So I'm not saying I was right that it's not a bad thing. It, it, I, I, it is a bad thing. Um, again, it's, you know, how bad is bad? We've had, uh, I think, about 15% more deaths than usual in the United States in 2020, and um, a little less than that in 2021 because of COVID, or as far as the COVID deaths, we've also had excess deaths from the lockdowns, which is part of my point. Um, mm -hmm. But and the COVID and the COVID deaths are um, uh, they're they're extremely old. They're it's, it's they're even the people dying of COVID as a group are even older and sicker than people who die generally. Um, so, uh, so in that sense, it's not so terrible. I mean, it would have been worse if this were afflicting the young or disproportionately killing the young as the 1918 flu apparently did. Um, but uh, so I'm, anyway, I'm not saying it's that it wasn't bad. It's, it's bad. Uh, um, uh, again, not smallpox, but bad. And, but what I'm saying is the harms I was right about the harms being from the lockdowns being worse than the benefits. Um, there's actually no evidence the lockdowns reduced COVID deaths at all, uh, uh, which is shocking enough. Um, but the uh, but even if they had saved, I estimate we had 600,000 people die before June from COVID before June by, by June 1st, 2021, by which time anybody who wanted to be vaccinated could be vaccinated. And the vaccine pretty much eliminates your risk of dying from COVID. Um, 
and so if you think that uh, I calculate we that was from the infection fatality rate that that represented that by that time we'd had 42% of the US population infected with COVID. 75% or so would get us to herd immunity, which the difference between those levels of infection would be about 400,000 deaths. So if you believe that the that the lockdowns prevented us from getting to herd immunity, then they say 400, prevented 400,000 COVID deaths. Um, I don't believe that, there's no evidence for that. Um, but even if they had saved say 200,000, prevented 200,000 COVID deaths, they have 200,000 lives. They, there's no question at all, even if they'd say 400,000, there's actually no question at all, they caused, the lockdowns caused more loss of life, more lost person years of life, when you consider the years of life remaining in excess suicides and drug overdose deaths compared to the person years of life they saved and prevented COVID deaths. Um, I think at least three times more, um, but absolutely certainly more. Um, so even on the metric of saving lives, the lockdowns actually caused more loss of life than they prevented. Plus they threw 20% of the US population into depression, threw 16% of, of the workforce out of their jobs, uh, denied education for every child and college student in America, and huge infringement on our personal liberty. Uh, in Minnesota, we were locked at home. We had a stay at home order for seven weeks, um, which, uh, um, is, was hard on everybody and is, uh, and it accomplished nothing. Um, and incidentally, it's also, is roughly commensurate with, a, with the judicial sentence, uh, of, um, home confinement that you would get for a third drunk driving offense or gross misdemeanor aggravated assault. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were sentenced to that. The entire state population was sentenced to that without due process, unlike people who commit drunk driving or aggravated assault. Um, so it's all, it's all negative. There's no advantages to it whatsoever. It cost a huge amount of money, cost people their jobs, cost, huge, cost everybody essentially at least some degree of happiness and, and freedom, um, and, uh, and caused more loss of life than it saved and than it prevented. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think there's such a, in, in public health officials, that there's such a focus on a single metric? And it, it, is it always like this with other public health issues? Or it seems like, especially with this one, they focus so much on just one metric, uh, you know, trying to save everyone from dying from COVID. Uh, that all yeah, other- they, Well, they, they actually, yeah. And actually it's worse than that, really. They're not, they don't even focus on the deaths because the deaths- like now, really, well, we're at the, I think we're still, at least as of a week ago when I looked at it, the number of deaths in the United States were still lower than it had been at any time since the early days of the pandemic, since more, the, the number of COVID deaths, even though we've got this wave in cases, um, because again, the vaccines largely prevent death. So they talk about, they don't talk about COVID deaths, they talk about COVID cases, uh, like it's a tragedy and you know the the um schools so there was a headline today i think some school opened without masks and they may and i may, I may have the details wrong or not. but anyway it was young people in some in some some gathering 192 cases they said from this gathering of however many people um nobody died none of them were i assume none of them were hospitalized or they just said that 
So it's basically 192 people had cold symptoms. Um, and that's a headline, apparently. Uh, so, and we have to shut down society to prevent 192 people from having cold symptoms. Uh, so it's, yes, I don't know why. So it does lead to conspiracy. I mean, why, why is that the only thing that matters? Why, and why are, why is, P, is children having cold symptoms? Children are at zero risk of dying from COVID or, and very little risk of even being seriously ill. Um, so why do we act like it's a totally unacceptable tragedy for a child to get COVID, to, be, to contract the illness? I, it's a mystery to me. And, and it, doesn't make, um, it doesn't make sense. Uh, if people are, if, if the public health officials are really concerned about the welfare of children or of the society as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Has any of this stuff changed your mind on politics? Um, I think uh, I'm, I'm a Democrat and a liberal, and I'm disappointed in Democrats and liberals. I think they've been very closed minded about this and get very upset. I've lost some friends. I wrote, I wrote a book on this, arguing these points. And I've had, um, my poker group are all liberals and Democrats. And they, uh, and I've tried to bring this up in conversation with them a couple of times, and I'm not allowed to complete a sentence. They, they do not want to hear me even talk about it. They're not willing to listen to, uh, uh, to it. Uh, and all I'm saying is maybe the suicides and the lockdowns caused, they did cause suicides and drug overdose, drug overdose deaths. Maybe those matter. Maybe quality of life matters. Why can't we rationally discuss this? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I mean, why is it offensive to bring that up, to stand up for people we've driven and we chose to drive into suicide and drive, to drug, drive, to, and drive into depression? Uh, in order to try to save somebody else's life. Because that's what we did. We chose, you know, we knew we were going to cause an explosion of depression. We knew it would cause a certain number of excess suicides. We decided that was worth it. Our leaders decided that was worth it to try to prevent COVID deaths. So perfectly rational, ex rational question to my mind is to ask, was it worth it? How many suicides did we create? How many people did we throw into depression? How many COVID deaths did we prevent? Um, but it seems you can't discuss that. I, I sent an email. The, the, the world, this isn't exactly on the politics question, but the world has just gone insane over this. As I said, I don't know why I can't. These were my friends in the social group. I don't know why it's unacceptable for me to even mention, mention this. But when I try to bring this up, and I think in a perfectly polite manner, people get very upset. Um, and I sent an email, this is just to was totally bizarre to me. I sent an email offering free copies of my book to 12, to the, to the 12 public political science faculty members at a certain college that shall remain nameless. Um, out of those 12, not one, but two of them is perfectly, perfectly nice email saying, you might find this into this book interesting. I conclude that the COVID lockdowns were a mistake. Let me know if you'd want a free copy of the book. 
two of the 12 responded to me with, quote, F you. <laughs> wow. Uh, nobody responded to asking for a copy of the book. When I, when, I contact, when I contacted the dean, when I forwarded those emails to the dean of the college, she asked the first one to, who, who had responded to FU to apologize to me, apparently. So he apologized to me and copied the dean and the president of the college in his apology, which was, I apologize, I should not have used the uh, profanity with you. What I should have said was, I find your work despicable and beneath contempt. Wow. Uh, wow. He, hadn't read, he hadn't read my book. I just I just sent an email offering a free copy of the book and saying that I conclude that that uh, basically that the lockdowns were a mistake. Yeah, uh, and and remind us of the title of your book. Uh, COVID lockdown insanity, the COVID deaths it prevented, the, the depression and suicides it caused, what we should have done, and what it shows we could do to address real crises. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know what to make of that, those emails that you got back in. Did yeah, the other person send you an apology as well? No, I think the other person I was told was no longer employed by the college. Uh, so I gather, I don't know what, if they even contacted her to ask her to apologize to me. Um, mm -hmm. And the first one, of course, he's a full professor and has tenure. So I guess he felt immune to any consequences. Uh, in fact, I would, I would regard his, his apology email to me as basically an FU to the dean and the president of the college, too, since he copied yeah. them on it. Um, so it's, it's just bizarre to me that people are not able to discuss this in a civil manner and, uh, and that, and yeah, it's kind of a total fail of society because the press has done a terrible, terrible job of reporting on this. Um, actually a friend emailed me a story in the Washington Post today that um, on a preprint, uh, so it's not even approved as a referee, as a journal article yet, but it's a preprint that this scientist, actually he's an economist, he's not an epidemiologist or scientist, um, had been a part of this study. And he gave an interview to the reporter and the reporter ran a story on the Washington Post that said mass, this put the final, their study put the final nail of the coffin into the argument that masks do not work. Uh, they, they'd done a study in 360,000 people in Bangladesh and um, showed that masks work. Um, so I looked up, so it didn't provide a link to the preprint. I, I searched for the preprint by the author's name and was able to find it. The abstract of the preprint says, quote, well, no, I don't have the exact words in front of me, but it says, um, we conclude that mask mandates make no difference. And we, <laughs> and we conclude that Basically, theoretically, if everybody wore their mask as intended and used a surgical mask instead of a cloth mask, it would reduce spread. Of, it would reduce the R of COVID by 25%. In other words, it would flatten the curve, as we used to say. It wouldn't stop the epidemic. Um, 
and that's in a theoretical ideal world. Mm-hmm. And this, so it's a total, total distortion of what the paper actually said, uh, this Washington Post article. Um, so the, the, um, the media has done a pretty terrible, terrible job on this throughout. Yeah. 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 It's, it's hard to know what, what to do. I mean, I, I feel the same way that you can't have a rational discussion practically and, it's like, where do we go from here? How, how do we get out of this madness? And do you have any solutions for that? Um, I've, uh, let's see. Um, not in the near term. I'd like to actually, I'm not ready to unveil it, but I've got kind of a theory of, how we could reform government to get more rational discussion on policy. Um, but I, I want to write the book on that. So <laughs> not mm-hmm. ready to unveil that. Um, so short of that, let's see. Well, would one I mean, way to to strip government of and not allow it to have so much power? Yeah. Which, but that's like the courts don't, um, enforce, I'm also disappointed in the courts over this. The courts don't enforce the restrictions we've got. We, we you know, we've got a, for the First Amendment guarantees freedom of the press and freedom to assemble and freedom of religion. Um, the, but, um, but they close school, closed churches. It, it's, it's, mind-boggling to me and the churches were closed not by statutes passed by the legislature which you probably no state in the union where you could have gotten a majority of the legislature to vote for a statute closing the churches they were closed by executive order of the governors uh the 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 judges upheld that it's mind-boggling to me i mean if i'd been a judge i'd have said I just just laughed it out of court and said, come back to me when you've got a statute at least passed by the legislature. I'd still rule that unconstitutional, but an executive order uh, that people can't gather for church um, because we've got a strain of the flu going around that's three and a half times worse than usual, which is what this was. Um, It's hard, hard to believe. So, so we've, you know, we've got a constitution, but the courts don't really enforce it. They basically enforce it to protect the powerful, not the powerless, um, and not to protect free speech. We can't. We also um, didn't have. Um, we've had huge censorship over this. Basically, I've, I've started this nonprofit. I wrote this book saying what I've said here that basically the lockdowns were a mistake and caused more deaths than they prevented caused a huge increase in suicides uh, in, uh, in clinical depression, um, which is just a fact. It's just, I'm just citing CDC statistics and, and uh, journal articles on the, multiple journal articles on the depression. I tried to run ads that merely stated those facts that we had a huge increase in depression with, uh, because of the lockdowns. Nobody will accept those, almost nobody. A billboard would accept the ad. The billboard companies allowed us to run the ad. But the Minneapolis Star Tribune newspaper refused that ad. Google, Facebook refused the ad. Amazon won't allow us to advertise the book. They'll sell the book. So we are allowed to sell the book, but we can't advertise it. 
Um, so, I, I mean, that's, that's another problem I think that's come out of this is the power of big tech. And that's a possible conspiracy theory on this one effect of making us isolated and stay at home and order things online and stuff and go to attend school online and have all our meetings online and virtually. It's to increase the power of the online companies of the big tech even more than it already was and to accelerate that trend even more than it already was. Um, I would have thought that they were all perfectly happy with the amount of profit they were making and the amount of power they had already, but maybe they're behind it. I don't know. They, they certainly profited mightily from it, and then they won't allow voices to criticize it. They censor, censor criticism of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm not sure uh, what to say after that. It's, uh, it's disheartening. But um... <laughs> it's disheartening. It's, <laughs> it is disheartening. I think we need to. Um, I think we need to organize and go to protests and elect people who will oppose the lockdowns and not do this again in the next round of elections. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hugh, I, I know you're kind of limited on time tonight. I appreciate you taking the time to jump on this call with me and I'll, uh, I'll certainly get you the link once I get this out there. And I uh, just want to thank you again. Is it, is there any further information that you want to give anyone who might be listening to this as far as where to go to get the book or anything like that or a website? Sure. Um, sure. The book again, the title is COVID lockdown insanity. It's available from Amazon and Barnes and Noble um, and of course your local bookstore, they probably don't have it in stock, but you can get them to order it. Um, and, uh, I've got a website, hughmctavish.com. Hugh is H-U-G-H and McTavish is M-C-T-A-V-I-S-H and I'm blogging.com and I'm blogging there. Um, posted a blog, blog spot uh, a couple of days ago on the 1.5 year drop in life expectancy, which I calculate was 1.0 of that was due to COVID and 0.5 of it was due to the lockdowns. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, and then also COVID sanity, covid-sanity.org is my nonprofit. So please go there and sign our petition. And, um, and there's free stuff on both the COVID sanity and the Hugh McTavish websites that you can download. All right. Great. Thanks again, Hugh. Take Thank care. You, Bye.